Grace and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us with the good news of our Savior being made flesh. In the name of Jesus, amen. Here's part of our scripture reading from this morning. From Titus, it says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So far our text. Those words from St. Paul talking about the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit in our epistle lesson for Christmas Day is one that every Lutheran child is forced to memorize at some point. Uh, when the small catechism talks about baptism, we're told that that washing that we receive is that washing of regeneration, that renewal, that being remade by the Holy Spirit. And this is true. When a person is washed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that person is made into a new creation. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old passes away. Behold, the new has come. And it says, for in Christ Jesus, all ye are sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Were remade reshaped in the image of God. The old sinner is put to an end, and we are no longer children of darkness, but we become children of light. How is that possible? How can God make such a great promise? How is it that we can be made into something brand new? And the answer is because Jesus was born. God has made flesh. Jesus is incarnate, meaning he's taken on all our fleshiness. All that stuff that you can pinch, that you can touch, all that stuff that can be broken, all that stuff that can be killed, that stuff that feels pain, that stuff that bleeds, that feels weakness. The eternal God takes that upon himself. Jesus is made man so that we can be made to be like Jesus. And that's what you are baptized into. You are baptized into Christ who was born to save sinners. And that's a profound and beautiful mystery. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and you. Things don't add up. That means that Jesus, the one who has no beginning, the one who has no end, Jesus was there before the world was created. The Son of God is. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Great I Am. He is the Infinite. He is the Glorious One. He is the One who possesses all power, wisdom, might, and perfection. There was nothing that existed apart from His Almighty Will. 
In Colossians we read, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How could we ever become like that one? How could we ever know this one, this mighty God? How could we ever expect to see him or to know him? Could we poor sinners ever dare to approach such a magnificent and powerful God? We, sinners, we, the rebels, we who deny his mighty will. We think we can do what he does. We think we can be like he is. And this is the way all human beings really are fools. That was the first sin. As man was told by the devil that he could be like God, knowing good and evil, all he had to do was eat that fruit. And so what does Adam do? He eats the fruit. He dives right into that prospect. Think of it. The Almighty Creator stands before us, and we look at him and think about how we are and say, "Ah, yeah, I could do better. We seek to recreate ourselves and to be the Lord of our own lives. We seek to cast God in our image, where do we land? In darkness, in sin, in death, in misery, and ultimately in hell. We deserve every bit of it. We deserve nothing but death and misery. The way in which humanity conceives of God is they seek to put him in our place so that we can stand in his. How often... Do we think that we can take it upon ourselves to instruct God? Or to deconstruct him and rebuild him to being whatever we want him to be so that we can cast him in our image, we can put words in his mouth, and we can say that God is okay with whatever I'm okay with. He's okay with my sin. God thinks I'm fine just the way I am. God has no desire to change me. God supports my rights to do what I want. God is happy with my right to blaspheme. God is okay with my denial of my vocation. God's not worried about how I live or what I do. God is fine with my gluttony, with my hedonism, with my fornication, with my lust, or whatever sin we are drawn to. He actually wants you to celebrate each and every one of those things. Shameful how man wants to create God as we just say, God, he just wants me to be happy. We want Jesus to be the Jesus of our own devising, the one that we create in our own mind. And that way we can do whatever we want. We can be what we want. We don't have to be challenged by pesky things like, you know, the truth or sin or righteousness or divine judgment. Because the God I devise doesn't care about these things. The God I devise just wants me, once again, to be happy. And that couldn't be further from the truth. God doesn't desire something as silly and cheap as happy for us. That would make him a pretty cheap God. 
No, God desires something so much greater than happy. He desires to be with us. He desires for us something so great, he wants us to be in fellowship with him. He wants to call us his children. He wants us to dwell in his house forever. He desires that we belong with him and delight in him as he delights in us. And so what must our God do? As we shroud our lives in darkness, as we stumble around in this world seeking happy, what must he do to reclaim what is rightfully is? How does our Lord regain his estranged children, his lost creatures? Well, he comes to us. He becomes one of us. He does what we cannot do. He sets happy aside, and he fulfills all righteousness. He conquers our sin by never sinning, and he recaptures holiness for human beings. That's what it means for Jesus to be born. It means that God looked upon our fallen humanity and had mercy upon us. He didn't blot us out. He didn't crush us and sweep us off so that he could make something better. He looked upon us in love. He came to us to make us righteous. He came to us to make us like him again. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. We were made to be his children. We were made for Christ to be our spiritual elder brother. And even as sin has estranged us from him, he couldn't just let us keep straying away. The gospel lesson says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So those who believe in the word made flesh, well, they're remade into something different, something holy, something beautiful. We are not those who have been born according to the flesh, but we are those who are born again. In John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. What does it mean to be born of the flesh? It means that you are bound to the deeds of your flesh. You're bound to the desires of your flesh. In Galatians 5, it says the works of flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because these deeds are not okay. These things are opposed to the will of God. They actually drive us away from him. They deepen our estrangement from him and would prevent us from entering his kingdom. And that's why Christ calls us and makes us to be born by the water and the word. That rebirth comes only through the one who is made flesh to die for us. The gospel lesson says that the word is made flesh and dwells among us. That word, translated as dwell, 
It's also tabernacle. That's why we had our Old Testament lesson today of Moses finally erecting the tabernacle, putting the ark in God's glory dwelling in the holy place. The tabernacle was the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. It's where the priest would come and intercede for the people of God. Sacrifices would be made. The incense would be offered. The prayers of God's people would ascend. And God would act in mercy. And the tabernacle eventually gave way to the building of the temple in Jerusalem, where the people of God would come regularly to be near God, as he assured them he is gracious, forgiving those deeds of our flesh. And ultimately, that temple was a shadow of the temple that would come, that was not made with human hands, as God chose to dwell in a building not made with stones, but in the man, in Christ. And that child was laid in a manger. And in him, God chose to work the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. He bore the deeds of our flesh to the cross where he died for the sins of the world. The one who had no sin in him experienced the death that we deserve. The birth of Jesus, it's all about our atonement with God. It's all about satisfaction for sin. God comes to do what we fail to do. How does he do it? He does it as a man. He does it as one who shares our flesh. He does it without succumbing to the desires of our flesh. The book of Hebrews says, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, hold fast to your confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, but without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our hour of need. See, Jesus is born to stand in the place of every single one of us. He stands perfectly in accordance with the will of his Father. He also satisfies God's justice. See, the God, judgment of God against sin, it must be fulfilled. God must be just, and Jesus is born to do it. He's born to die the sinner's death. And so when we are washed, when we are washed in the incarnation of Jesus, we are remade. We are regenerated and removed, renewed because of what Jesus does. Romans 6, it says it like this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we are no longer enslaved to sin, for one who has died is set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Christ. Do you hear that? The old self, the old flesh, is brought to nothing. Your sin has been brought to nothing. All that would condemn you has been brought to nothing. Why? Because Jesus made himself into nothing so that we become everything in him. 
Jesus emptied himself of all personal glory and he pressed the mute button on his divinity. He sets everything aside, his glory, his omnipotent power over all of the creation, his all-knowing intimacy with the Father, the perfect praise of the company of heaven, the unstained spiritual glory of his divinity. It's set aside so that he could come in perfect meekness. The God of creation becomes a helpless child. The God of creation must wear a diaper, must nurse and receive milk, must be wrapped up in clothes to be kept warm, has to be laid in a soft place so that he can rest his weary head. The glory of heaven gives way to the frailty of flesh, bone, sinew, and blood. What was immutable and imperishable now could be hurt. The spotless son would be wounded. The unending praise of the angelic host would give way to mockery, scoffing, blasphemy. The undying Lord of life makes it so that he can be killed. And he does this so that you can live, that you can have life, real life. Not that counterfeit life that everyone's always talking about. Not that fake, happy that is overshadowed in the darkness of sin, but the life that lives before the glorious light of God the Father. Jesus enters into perfect humility to deliver us and to bring us into that life. Christ Jesus, who was, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, St. Paul writes, but he empties himself. He takes the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being bound in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And why does he do this? Well, so that we can follow after him, so that we can be made to be like him in every way. And as we are washed, as we are remade according to the will and the might and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are recreated as children of God. And that means that we follow him. In this life, we follow him in his meekness. If Jesus was meek, if Jesus was weak, if Jesus was small, if Jesus was despised by the unfaithful, we should not expect to be anything more or greater ourselves. We should wear it as a badge of honor when we undergo weakness, when we undergo pain, when we undergo trials in this world, when we undergo the mockery and hatred of those around us, because God has deemed us worthy of earthly meekness and humility. If we suffer, we suffer in Christ. If we are poor in worldly riches, we are poor in Christ. If we are sick, tired, world-weary, and displaced from all personal comfort, we are so in Christ. And if we have joy, it's because Jesus is our joy. If we have hope, it's because Jesus is our hope. If we have comfort, it's because Jesus is our comfort. He made himself nothing and has become everything for those who believe in him. And in this, God has exalted him over everything. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And we know that as we dwell in him, the heavenly chorus of eternal praise of Jesus includes your voice. Because we have been made partakers of his wonderful work. You, dear Christians, have been freely and abundantly given every product of Jesus' mighty labor, beginning at his incarnation, as he takes on flesh, continuing through his life of perfect faithfulness, going straight to his cross, into his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand. Everything Jesus has done is for you. And as we're called into him, and he is pleased to be made one of us, we follow him through humility into glory. St. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Well, how are the sons of God revealed? Who are they? They're the ones who are remade by Jesus. The ones who bear his image in this life. They are the ones who see their sin. Those are the ones who understand their darkness, but they have cast off the outer darkness of their former selves because they are renewed by the Holy Spirit. They're the ones being regenerated. They're the ones who have put on Christ and dwell in his righteousness alone. They're the ones who are baptized into his holy name, having received all that he has done so that they are daily remade into people who bear his image. Today we know that the image of God is the child and the manger. His image is a baby who has no power, capacity, will, or strength to call his own. Yet even in that perfect humility of an infant Savior, Jesus dwells in perfect faith. He places himself entirely into his Father's hands. He submits perfectly to his Father's will, and in this he loves you perfectly. It is the Father's will to redeem us from the darkness so that we might dwell in the light of his glory, and so we do so. We dwell in the light of the glory of the newborn Savior by humbly kneeling before the temple of God that has been made without human hands, knowing that on this child the sins of the world will be placed so that we might be called holy children of God. My friends, you have a treasure. Paul Gearhart perfectly expressed it in our hymn that we sang just before the sermon, O Jesus Christ, thy manger is. Because here we remember where our life and our treasure are truly meant to dwell. It's not in the pompous desires of the sinful flesh. It's not in the really blind grasping for happiness in this world, but it's in the washing it's in the word, it's in the eating and the drinking, it's in the hope and the comfort, it is in the fruits of Jesus and his loving labor. And as we pass through this life, we know that his loving labor is what brings us to our true Father, and in him we are made heirs of eternal life that will live in the kingdom of heaven. Gearhart writes, he says, remember thou what glory now the Lord has prepared thee for all earthly sadness. The angel host can never boast of greater glory, greater bliss, or gladness. Angels are jealous of what God does for you. 
The world may hold her wealth and gold, but thou, my heart, keep Christ as thy true treasure. To him hold fast until at last a crown be thine and honor in full measure. Cling to the Christ child. And as you cling to him, cling to the water and the word and the body and the blood. And there the riches of the kingdom of heaven are poured out on you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, cause our hearts to rejoice in the birth of Jesus. And in our joy, help us to see his birth as the source of our rebirth through water and the Spirit. As the old Adam in us daily is passing away, cause us to rejoice in the new life that we have in Christ. Knowing that all that he has and all that he is is given to us as a precious gift. Enlighten our hearts so that we may rejoice in the humility of our infant God and Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith, the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.